0: Uh, Hello, and welcome back to the Comic Books Matter podcast. I'm your host, Jesse, and with me today is a very special guest. She has written for Uppercut, Waypoint, SideQuest. Uh, She's the co-host of the podcast Idle Talk, and she knows more about Final Fantasy than I ever will. It's uh, Grace Benfell. (laughs) How are you doing, Grace?
1: Hello. Uh, My Final Fantasy expertise is still forming, um, but I appreciate that.
0: I I mean, I've read... pretty much every final fantasy article at least the two final fantasy articles i know yeah. of that you've posted
1: well and... seven, seven's the only well and seven like itself is the only one that i really like deep into um, i'm trying to make my way through the whole series right now which has been fun but it's going slower than i like because i keep starting projects like that um
0: even though they technically have only up to number 15 that's like what 20 games
1: yeah well so i'll be playing I'm, like, not going to bother with spinoff stuff unless I, like, really want to. Um, like, I'm not going to play the sequel to Twelve that's on DS. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But I'm going to play ten two and... Uh, so for, but so, what yeah. about
0: the MMOs? Because
1: technically those are... Oh, yeah. Good. I'm skipping the MMOs. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, maybe some brave day I will get into Final Fantasy fourteen. I do not think that day is soon. Um, yeah
0: i mean i feel it uh i i still am struggling with just normal games in general
1: yeah i started to play the old republic uh right around when the pandemic started and uh played you know a good 10 hours or so and then just completely dropped it so
0: yeah one of my good friends steven who uh who did the logo for the show and stuff he was playing a ton of old republic and then he signed up for a coding class uh to try to look at some more job skills and he's like well, I could keep playing Old Republic or I can do good in my class
1: yeah <laughs> that is uh, that's yeah the time commitment is just so heavy on stuff like that that it's very especially like hearing Austin on Waypoint describe mm-hmm. his journey of like playing 150 hours to like get to stuff that he thought was good was like I you know I'm, I'm alright I can play yeah, like, like, like six Final Fantasy think... games in that time
0: <laughs> Yeah, I don't, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't need to put in the effort <laughs>
1: Yeah, um,
0: I, I I feel the same way about like a lot of things. Like, how much effort do I have to put in for it to quote unquote get good? Um, yeah. I was talking about that. I've been I've been binging a lot of webtoons because I'm just on my phone a lot more lately. Yeah. And I want and I want to keep reading, so I'm reading webtoons because they're free and they're on the phone. Um, and I'm reading Tower of God, and it's like 400 something chapters, and I hit mm-hmm. a point where it just got real slow, and I'm like, oh man. I like I like where it came from, so I'm just gonna push through. And now it's gotten really fast paced. But I have a friend who stopped at the same point I did. And yeah. I'm like, can I convince him that forty chapters of slowness is worth all the cool stuff I'm reading right now?
1: <laughs> yeah, it's a tough. I mean, I I always like a little slowness. Um, although I also am one of these folks who complains about games being too long, generally speaking. So. Yeah. Um, yeah,
0: I guess there's a difference between slowness that's empty and slowness that gives you time to think. Yeah, for sure. Because I like, I think. Uh, uh blade runner 2049 is one of my favorite movies in a lot yeah. of ways and mm-hmm. movies very very slow
2: it
1: is uh, yeah i was happy to see how it's been a while since i've seen it but i quite liked it at the time and it's um
0: yeah
1: you know and yeah like you know it's a sequel to blade runner a movie that is yeah. also slow which is great yeah
0: and, and like it gives you a lot to digest more than yeah. i think the first one did So that's why i think that slowness works so well for that movie yeah but i don't think
1: anybody was prepared for it um <laughs> yeah it was it was seeing a ad describe it as action-packed like when it was out on blu-ray was very strange to me it's like there's yeah. like three minutes of action like sequences action. in this movie <laughs> i mean they're
0: cool they're very brutal and fun but also like yeah no for sure <laughs> yeah um so grace you brought well you you suggested today that you want to talk about zot by uh scott mcleod yeah and uh, we were talking right before this that both of us kind of only knew Scott through uh, his uh, r- books about writing or art in comic books, not really about his works itself.
1: Yeah, so I actually like I sort of briefly after I got into comic books um, in like early elemen- or late elementary school, mm-hmm. um, my neighbor, who is a film professor, like told me about understanding comics. And so that was like one of the like first graphic novels I read. And it's like wild because um, I think about like a lot of stuff I like to read now is kind of this like meaty lit crit theory. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And that, I think that was my entry point into a lot of that. Um,
0: Yeah. The great thing about that book is like, it it is a comic book in itself, which is really nice. But at the same time, it's super critical about the craft in a way that you don't get through comics very often.
1: Yeah, well, I think, I mean, the fact that, like, he, um, the, anyway, I don't want to get, like, too far in the weeds, understanding it's it oh, been bad. a while since I've read it, but, um, the way he talks about art in that as, like, basically anything that has to do, that's outside of survival or instinct, mm-hmm. sort of like, like, blowing a raspberry is art, and, like, the way you, you know, tap on your desk while you're working is art, right, that's sort of, like, opening and, um, Democratization is not the right word, but sort of that, like, there's a very radical sense of, like, openness to that mm-hmm. that I think was very eye-opening to me at the time and, like, helped me sort of ground and contextualize, like, a lot of my, or at least justify a lot of my interests and in stuff like comics and video games, which especially comics at the time had not, I feel like, reached the, the level of cultural legitimacy or, like, cultural widespreadness that they have yeah. today. Um, okay. at least that was my feeling. In and middle with, school,
0: <laughs> yeah, with his, uh, the way it's critically written too. Like, there's um, I I, don't, I like and do enjoy reading critical pieces uh, about any subject, and I've read critical pieces about comics too. But having a critical piece about comics that's within a comic that's not sort of like trying to subvert the genre or try to be tongue in cheek about it, but actually just like here's my thoughts and let me illustrate the thoughts too. Yeah, though I think that's the best. Like that's one of the best ways to get comic criticism. I know it's like, mm-hmm. not, not everybody can do it. Scott McCall literally can draw super, <laughs> well. So like he right. has all the talent to do that. Um, but man, if I could just get more of that kind of criticism in that form, that would be so nice. Because a lot of times with video games, you can want to either add screenshots pretty easily in a lot of ways. And you can do that too with comics. But I feel like you can visualize video games and movies much easier than you can panels and exactly what you're talking about within panels.
1: Well, I mean, that's something that he talks about is the the idea of meaning being created in the juxtaposition of the panels, right? Mm. The, um, you know, the 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 gutter, there's a whole chapter about this, right? The, the the space in between the two panels creates connective tissue that you then like string into meaning. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, it's very similar to like montage and film, right? Where it's like, oh, you see two separate images, but because they're cut right after each other, you know, oh, this is connected, right? This is, this is meaning is connected yeah Um, but i think yeah there is a sense of flow that you kind of lose in translation um and that isn't to say like i think i think you know one can write well about just about anything and there's always that loss of translation that's part of the that's part of the work of criticism is trying to bring out like hey what was this experience through something that is totally different than that experience um that's one of the things i think is really fulfilling about it um but yeah like i think understanding comics is great um in the way that it sort of tries to embody and work through the the stuff that it's doing very literally, right? That, like, Scott McCloud is experimenting with the space between panels as he is talking about what the space between panels does, right? And that's, um, I think, very, you know, it's it's like watching, like, an experimental film, right? Mm -hmm, It's mm -hmm. like reading about film theory can be really satisfying, right? And reading about experimental film can be really satisfying. But there's something uniquely satisfying in seeing something that's actively playing with the medium. And, you know, I mean, yeah, this is something that, that I'm getting off way off track here, talking about theory. Oh, it's this totally is fine. My, this is what this, this is what uh, you're for. Right? <laughs> this is this is my. Shit. Um, but the uh, you know in one of the theory class I took it in college. Uh, one thing we did is we read a short story, and then we read a piece of critical theory, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then did papers where we it's kind of hard to describe, but we'd talk about the story using the lens of the critical theory. And then we talk about the theory using the lens of the story, right? And so this way of like blurring the line between like something that's fiction or like a work in of itself and stuff yeah. that's commenting on that work, right? I think that's something that's also really helped inform criticism, and I think that's something that you know it, it's weird. It feels like this, um, this like stepping stone towards my like future education and stuff because understanding comics kind of embodies that in a big way.
0: Yeah, and with the idea that you you watch uh, you watch something, you read something, get the theory, and then. Re- understand the theory and then apply it back into the book i think in a lot of ways too uh helps push the push the idea an idea that i think a lot of people uh should really think about when they go back to things that they love or cherish after they've grown and expanded that um even if something teaches you a theory teaches you an idea of what something could tell you if you just reapply it you'll get something else out of it again with that same exact theory or yeah, for sure. lens i feel like um mm-hmm. Like, I can um, try to think of a, a book off the top of my head, but oh, um, well, like Great Gatsby. I read Great Gatsby for the first time last year because yeah. uh, my school was bad about telling me to read books. Um, <laughs> and I read it three times in a row, like back to back to back. It's a very short book, so that was kind of easy to do. Yeah. But every time I reread it, and I, and I kept in my, after I read it the first time, I had my idea what the book was, and I kept the idea every single time afterwards. But yet I got different examinations of each character each time through that lens of what i thought the book was
1: yeah well i think that's something that's something it's actually if we can like we could kind of use this as a transition to zot so the collection i read um this is probably the one that you read too Mm -hmm. um has a bunch like after each sort of arc there's like an essay from scott talking about like that issue and like stuff that's Mm -hmm. going on in his life and so there is a sense of this kind of being like this um document that's trying to comment on itself and rework itself right which is uh I mean, very much. I think a Scott McCloud thing to do, um, yeah. Not just to like reprint something, but also to give all this context and try and like explore it formally in a really direct way.
0: Yeah, it's actually interesting because the the way I read it was um, uh, I just didn't have time to pick up a copy at all. Yeah, and now that I've read. Uh, a few of the issues i'm probably gonna find the collection whenever i can so i was reading scans just because and that's a bad thing don't do that don't read Avoid it <laughs> hey i just, mean i
1: you know i had I I... five days <laughs> <laughs> no you're good you're good and also oh. uh generally speaking I'm, I'm pro i mean it depends obviously power dynamics are a thing but yeah stealing sure. from corporations it's good yeah for that's me.
0: <laughs> that, that that is true uh, dealing, uh from people who are bad but you like the characters that they worked on that's also good because um, i'm yeah. like like this is another tangent but like there's a whole thing about the red hood writer scott lovell and all that stuff i've never bought one of his books brand new i always bought him secondhand because i don't want to give him money
1: <laughs> yeah no i think that's uh not like yeah i think examining material conditions is like a really important um thing to do
0: but what's fascinating is like knowing that there's essays gets me even more intrigued to get that collection. But at the same time, reading the scans it has like the ads and oh, not really the ads, but like the um, the, way, the way it was cut as an actual comic book. after yes, a yeah. Published comic.
1: Did you um? Yeah. I mean, you didn't get to the normal essay, right? So there's sort of a split, um, and it's very formally put in the collection mm-hmm. where Zot gets trapped on Earth. Yeah, we should, I guess uh, set up what this comic book is. Yeah,
0: so uh, yeah, uh, we we can go briefly into what it is in a second, but yeah, I, there's a, there's a good split, especially with the scans I was reading because it went it was originally color, yes, and then it went to black and white. And so oh, right, okay, did, this is also great just the split. collection.
1: Sorry, sorry, yeah. didn't, didn't mean to talk over you. But the collection I have is um is not any of the color issues. It's just the black and white ones.
0: Oh, um, cool. So we can we can definitely yeah, back we and got forth some... between the essays and the, <laughs> of what I saw with the art. Yeah. Um... Uh, do you want to describe what the comic is or do you want me to i
1: can i can do it and then maybe you can fill in because i feel like there's some um the white stuff is mostly separate from the but it does refer back to it occasionally so there might be some context that i I have because i've never read those um yeah but basically it's a story about zot It's a superhero in sort of this um paradise version of earth i mean it's very like like D- 50s DC comics, right? Like Earth 2 and Zot's there. And like, it's this, you know, it's, it's 1965 there. Everything's really beautiful and great and things are like um, idyllic for them. Um, mm-hmm. And then Jenny, who comes from our world, right? And is very like disillusioned. They're both teenagers, they're both like 15. And the the stories are kind of about, like it, it's metafictional in some way because it's sort of about uh, someone's interaction with like a, what is metaphorically a superhero comic, right? Yeah. And then also um you know kind of like what is idealism how does that function in the world how do we like work through that um and basically like the this issue structure at least in the stuff that i read is like basically there's like an arc per villain um and you sort of get so yeah what was the stuff you read for the I mean, you got up so, to issue 17
0: yeah um, so it was like i want to say it was issues one through 10 were the colored ones
1: yes that's correct
0: um, and so reading issues 1 through 10 and then switching to the color ones, and I'm probably going to go compare this to other more independent works that I've read too because it feels very much like that uh, 80s and 90s just underground comic scene the way yes. the switch yeah. happens in a lot of ways. But that first 10 issues feels very much like a golden age book where the hero is kind of naive, doesn't really know uh, what's 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 kind of like – What's the word? Like he There's no gray area. There's right and there's wrong. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And when Jenny falls into the world after him, after in the first issue, she's very much like, "Wow, this is idealist. This is like the best thing that I could ever be a part of." Because she was very like, you get a very good perspective that she's very bored in the world she's in. Yeah, and she kind of hates everything about it. So yeah, when her she goes, families. oh sorry. We're oh yeah, no, her, her family's and... jerk. Yeah. Yeah. Her he brother's must. kind of racist and. <laughs> also sexist and really just all around not great to hang around yeah yeah so her being trapped in there with that and her brother being trapped in there with her at, at times but that's a whole other thing um it really becomes in those first 10 issues just kind of a golden age book being t- very tongue-in-cheek with how those books were written but without really saying much until the last few issues i feel like yeah because um, the whole premise of those first 10 issues is there's a key that everybody's after and that key opens up a door to the quote-unquote edge of the universe and the whole first like seven or eight issues is all about finding that key and they find it in the first issue and then they lose it and it's just back and forth and there's all these b plots that are i think more complex than the a plots Right. But they never they never really give you the spotlight on those to like, breathe on them for very long. It's all about Zot just moving forward and all this pulp action through every single. Yeah. Issue.
1: Well, so he talks about writing and, and drawing those and this, that he was like, I was kind of making this up as I went along and mm-hmm. like, trying to prove to myself that I could like do this kind of book.
0: Which at um, times it felt like, like, oh, I think he wrote himself into a corner. He didn't know how to get out of here.
1: Yeah. Well there's stuff like that to be I mean there's some Deus 6 Machina kind of stuff in the uh in the newer issues too. Um mm-hmm. but I do think that there is like a shift in sort of tone and and um maturity, especially you read the Decker issues, right? You would have gotten there. Yeah. Yeah. Um so those are some of my favorite issues, I think, in the in the collection. Um and I think it sort of speaks to what you're talking about. you have these villains that have some sort of interesting stuff going on, right, that don't get um so we left off with the Decker. Yes, then this, the Decker yeah, stuff. Yeah. So just that, like these characters, the villains get more time
2: mm-hmm.
1: to breathe and like be characters and sort of have you understand them and their motivations. Right. I, this is something that I'm inferring based on like both what I've read about these ten issues and how you're talking about them.
0: Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um. The the most fascinating thing between the transition to from the color pages and the black and white pages is that tonal shift that you're talking about where it's very like Zotch just like i am the hero and in the last i want to say one to two issues it might have been just the last one because they all kind of blend together when you binge them yeah um Mm -hmm. for issue 10 at least when they go through the door which the door itself is kind of funny but when they go through the door and he kind of gets kind of essays talk to him about like what it means to be like in a reality and such. Yeah. uh Uh, And then he comes back. It becomes very tonally different. Even in the last issue in color where people, he beats the villain, he beats the big bad guy and everybody sees on TV that the big bad guy was manipulating them to the TV. And they're like, Oh, that's earlier now. He's like, guys, think for yourselves. Don't just listen to what people (laughs) are telling you. I am not your savior. And he's like, you know what? I give up. And he turns off the programming. And that's how that issue ends where it seems right. like he's very defeated. And then when they switch to the black and white issues, he comes back into the universe after being gone for like a few months. And he comes back into our earth and is very idealistic again, and then gets hit with a huge slap of reality.
1: Yeah. Well, I think that um, that first issue is like showing, I think some of the, some of the weirder tensions that I think are in this that McLeod um, mm-hmm. cause I, there's a, there's a real sense of like, oh, you go to New York City, crime there, there's bad people there that I think is kind of stooped in some like racial stuff. Yeah. um, That doesn't super work. But but there's also like a real sort of interesting thematic thing, right? That you have someone from a different world that is better, right? Mm -hmm. And that knows like, knows in kind of a material way that that different world is possible, right? That there is something else that can be achieved, but that is also constantly sort of confronted with the realities of how that world our world does not match up to that right um, yeah um, and i think that's a, a really sort of rich tension that the the that series isn't always the best at exploring but sometimes really hits uh, that's sometimes what it said is most effective
0: yeah i it, when it got when i got to the black and white issues it really really hit me with this sense of um oh crap who is the writer of this book now i'm trying to remember off the top of my head uh, Terry Moore, Stranger in Paradise, because I was been binging that. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. a while back, and it's another one of those independent black and white books for the most part. And at times, I don't think it lands everything it's trying to say, but it's willing to risk, um, its characters, well, not even its characters, its tones, to really talk about things that matter in society more so. It's not. Yeah. W- it's not willing to stri- stray away from really 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 dark places and i feel like once that hit that black and white issue that first one at least for sure you could feel the tonal shift of being like we're not playing the safe golden age game anymore yeah he's gonna he's gonna get hit with doses of reality that are gonna be really hard for you as a reader and him as a character to swallow
1: yeah well i think also that um and mcleod talks about this moment so there's a there's a scene at the end of the i think at that arc is just like two issues Mm. at the end of the second issue um that's like going to leave right i mean you know not like forever but just like no, but going he's a back boy. home yeah. right and but he's been like beat up and haven't been having a bad time and jenny's like why do you care about this world why do you you know why do you even want to be here it's like there's nothing for you here and he says yeah there is and then kisses her and that's sort of the final page is like him leaning in to kiss her and it's just really i think even now like for striking moment a lot with lighting there's sort of this um, like Zot's face is obscured mm-hmm. by sort of the light like shining behind him right and there's this I don't know I don't know exactly how to describe why it works so well for me uh, but it's this very poetic moment I think it shows um, like McLeod's not the greatest craftsman I would say in, in these issues but he's so formally inventive and sort of stretches himself in a lot of ways, and that is really, really fun. Especially since like each arc feels feels really different and it stretches. And I mean, we already talked about understanding comics yeah. playing into this, right? But yeah, I I, um, I feel like
3: when he when he hits those issues the story, not like how it presents itself but how it lands its points
0: yeah um as you said like when he gets beat up and he <laughs> he fights those quote-unquote bad guys in the streets they're not drawn in the most like respected
3: ways like they're very stereotypical uh, a little oh racist with some of them like and so, so it suffers there, like sunset or like oh, the yeah. night sky or something. And the way Scott,
0: Scott just draws that whole entire scene, his art though gets the chance without the colors. Him getting full control of the book, his art gets the chance to really come alive. Yeah. And without the colors, the art has to do double the work because now it's trying to paint you the colors with just
3: with right. Just I'm, the ink
1: marks. I'm looking forward to you getting to so earlier. I was talking about because there's there's kind of three splits, I guess, in not because there's that color to black and white transition, yeah. and then there's a arc late in like i don't remember it's like issue 20 something i think where zot gets trapped on earth right Mm -hmm. and then the next like six or seven issues are all just on earth and they're very like grounded sort of like in some cases autobiographical but like in narrative stories about people living their lives basically um yeah and some of the stuff in that has this really, I think, beautiful and striking like landscape work <laughs> and stuff, and this interest in the beauty of the mundane that comes across at some of the earlier stuff, but is so striking, especially in contrast to the like very dreamlike exuberant whimsy of uh, like landscapes in the zots in like the you know science fiction superhero sections of the book um.
0: Uh- so to, back, to jump out of the, the book itself for a second and go yeah. back to you as a person, yes. um, how did you find your way into comics?
1: Um, so, I feel like this is a very embarrassing story. So um, my parents bought the it was like a box set of Spider-Man one and two special editions. OK, and because I was this kind of kid, I was like watching all the bonus features, you know, because they're like two disc dvd sets right and there was a couple that were about the comics and i watched one and it was um i'm trying to remember so john ramita jr mm-hmm. and dream michael straczynski talking about the 9 11 issue of spider-man oh that's an issue <laughs> that is an issue um but like that you know i don't know i was a kid and like that was such a like whoa like comic books could be serious that can be about stuff like this right yeah and so then my parents like for my birthday pretty soon after got me uh like a you know 10 issue paperback of stan lee's old run on spider man okay like yeah it was like issue 22 to 32 or something like that um and i devoured it and then like got all the there's these like black and white collections of old com- Marvel comic books called The Essentials. You yeah, know, like, yeah. It's, it's like, essential
0: editions.
2: Yeah. it's
1: really creep. I mean, it's like it's cheap, right? It's like newspaper print, right? Black and white, but they were so cheap. And so I bought like the entire Stanley run of Spider-Man on these, you know, and, and read all those. And then like I was talking about earlier, I like read understanding comics. And so I kind of became like super um, invested, interested in for a while. I wanted to be a comic book artist. Um, and at some point I sort of fell out of it, not like, cause I didn't like it anymore or anything, but it just sort of, I think video games kind of started to creep in, you know? Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. As it, uh, <laughs> as it happens, but McCloud was a big boy because I loved understanding comics so much. And so a lot of the stuff I read um, were recommendations from him. Like I got into Flight and Kazukabushi stuff like Amulet and um, I'm to remember Copper is the other comic he did, web comic he did um, through Scott McCloud's recommendations on his website, right? Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. So, um, So that was like, yeah, so it's a big and so Zot is somewhere in there where it's like I'd read about Zot in Understanding Comics and then you know, I think I bought this pretty soon after it came out. Um and um which is like two thousand six It was like the black and white collection, right? Yeah. Mm hmm. Dude, did you get
0: the um, did you get the hardback edition or did you get the regular
1: nah, one? No, I have the paperback. It's like torn up now because I've read it dozens of times. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, not recently, like it's been a it's been a few years since I last checked it out, but um but there was a period where like especially like those essentials, I was like reading them, you know, multiple times a year. Um so yeah, and, so I don't know, Zot had a big impact on me, I think, um, partially because it was really cool to see a creator I like so much doing something else than I was familiar with. Like I'd also read all of, you know, understanding comics, reinventing comics and making comics. I'd read all that stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was exciting to like, see Scott, like work with this, uh, work with fiction. Right. Um, but it's also like, yeah, one of the, so you haven't gotten to this yet. Um, cause it's post oh. the earth jump, but there's a kind of, well, it's good actually. I think it's pretty good. There's a story about a lesbian character coming out to herself,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, later. And that was like one of the first examples of queerness I found in like anything I had read, right? Um, including like like I read, um, I mean I think Runaways was maybe the first Brian K. said Adrian Alfina's Runaways. Um, yeah, yeah, uh, that's really one like. of
0: the ones I want to read, but I haven't gotten to it yet.
1: Oh yeah, you I I mean I want to read it again. Uh, but that that original run with him and Adrian, with Brian and Adrian, is really really good. I think yeah, I think it holds up. Um, and I want to read the new Rainbow rowel stuff too. i picked that one
0: up yeah, yeah. uh because of the show and it was, and it was cheaper than the full brian
1: caveman collection <laughs>
0: yeah yeah uh, yeah i have all those hardbacks so. yeah but it, it's it's very fun still like even not knowing much but i really want to get to that origin and go through it
1: yeah it's good stuff i think i think it holds up um but you know i'll have to read it again um and that was something that like i um yeah oh i almost don't want to spoil it there's a very like a very fun twist especially if you go and read the scans with Mm. this particular issue um and you know anyway it's just like um there's a way i think especially these later issues there's a there's a sensitivity to the way cloud writes these characters the cloud i should say um that really struck me and i think um you know i grew up in a very like not a conservative household but a conservative area Mm -hmm. Um, yeah i get that sort of of culture and like that was something that i think not that like changed everything and turned everything around for me but it was an example of like um people talking about things that that mattered in a way that was really sensitive and like still like i think i think you read that issue now especially if you've read like you know i mean i'm I'm trying to think of like but yeah there's lots of comic books that deal with queerness right and that are by queer folks um Mm -hmm. you know uh, a straight guy as far as i'm aware Um, but, um, you know, so it's not particularly complex, but it is, I think, sensitive and like, um, engaging. And I think that just like, really hit me as a perspective, like that I had not seen before. I didn't have access to, and probably would like, I, Yeah, this is like one of the weird, interesting things is like, I probably wouldn't have let myself read something by someone queer, especially if they were really like out and open about things. Mm -hmm. Right. But yeah. Seeing like, but like getting a comic by you know someone who is straight, right, and who I did you snuck it in. I didn't know it was going to be there, right? I thought this was a superhero book, um, but then yeah, I mean, it know, has, there's something has to know. be said
0: for those uh those early books who even uh, even if they were written by uh, straight people or um not people of color, because I always think about Black Panther, uh Black Panther's introduction to the Marvel universe, even though yeah. by yeah. Stanley and Jack Kirby. Um, the idea of them not shying away from taboo areas because I, I remember there was a time too they were they questioned even naming black panther black panther because yeah well black i
1: think there's even some lampshading of that in the book where like yeah black Panther's is like oh this has political connotations that i don't necessarily you know i don't affiliate myself with but you know yeah. but that but tension is still there, right? It's a really rich yeah. tension that then black authors could go on to work with, right?
0: And, yeah, and I think I think there's importance for the start of that. At the same time, it's 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 a really interesting subject to talk about because now we have um, so many creators who make their living off writing different perspectives, where other people of those perspectives aren't making anything. <laughs> right?
1: Yeah, um, that's, a, some, well, that's, that's a huge thing. Yeah, well, I think yeah. that's something that. Um, I mean, something that I appreciate about the way McLeod does this, um, there's also a character, uh, African-American character, who's a comic book writer and is sort of a McLeod self-insert, but not really. Um, mm-hmm. That I think does some, like, I don't know, I, there's some interesting race stuff in that that I don't think is like the best, but, um, but also like the thing is this stuff isn't like, um this story, the story about uh, Terry is this girl who comes out to herself. She's like a character in the first little bit, too. Um, mm-hmm. She um, it's about her realizing that. But it's also like she's a character sort of in the wider history of the story. Right. This yeah. is not like a straight author coming in and like, OK, I'm going to write a book about gay people. Right. This is like Someone realizing something about themselves in the tapestry of this world that already exists. Right. And as a character who already exists and has established like motivations and relationships that color her relationship to that stuff. Right. Um, And I, I just think like it's, it's tough. And I think there's all, I do not, I kind of bristle sometimes when people are like, Oh, like, like cis straight cis people can't write these kinds of stories. Cause I think there's a reductionist element to that. Right. There's yeah, a way I, I... in which. um. Yeah, sorry. I'll just finish this thought, and then you can. Yeah, um, yeah, no problem. There's a way in which that, like, I think that's, uh, but also, like, there's a real material element, right? And I think that, um, hopefully, you know. And the thing is, like, in in um, understanding comics to reinventing comics, like um, Scott McCloud talks about folks like Alison Bechdel, right, who were like doing queer comics when you know mm-hmm. McCloud was writing this book, right? It's not so much that um, I don't feel like he's taking up space that's not. Not vocal for him to take him at least in my eyes and he's obviously not a monolith right um, yeah but yeah i, I mean, hope that makes sense that was a little rambly but
0: no i think you hit the, the nail on the head when it came to the idea of when he wrote the character he was writing a greater tapestry of the world less than i'm gonna just make i'm gonna just make this character to be a guy that made this character right
2: yeah and, mm-hmm. and i
0: think that's something to be said with um and <laughs> i feel i always feel bad about critiquing creators that i one day want to talk to but it's, it's <laughs> but it, you just kind of have to do it where it's like it kind of becomes partially the modern day bendis effect where oh yeah that, for sure there's, there's at times where he writes characters to weave a better tapestry. like i think miles morales is a very a very good character that he's written that he wrote in the greater scheme of spider-man yeah but i, I feel like more of the modern uh uh like uh people that he's written or queer people that he's written feels more like i'm gonna make these characters these characters because i need to
1: yeah.
0: force representation not 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 like representation is forced in general but i'm just saying like he needs like it's like i need to diversify my portfolio
1: yeah which... well i i think like i mean there's stuff like the um i mean i don't I think monty talked about this on on your episode with her yeah um but the like snowflake and safe space characters were like i, I just think yeah. corporate representation is really really hard limits Mm -hmm. um and i'm very skeptical of how that stuff like plays out and how it works and like i've you know talked about this a lot on twitter right and stuff like that but um and i i think the way you sort of avoid a lot of those problems is just try and create something honest and and real about how people live in the world right and that's the thing is i think there's there's subtextual stuff you can like this is one of the things is that um this is like a weird thing and i don't know if i completely have this thought but like there's Zot is a rich text, right? We oh, talked yeah. a lot about this, like, utopianism and this relationship with, like, uh, superhero comics, right? And also this, like, um, the way it sort of gets into people's personal lives, it still, like, reflects, like, this um, this one about this African-American character. He wants to be a comic book writer, and it's basically still about the central tension, where, it's, like, he wants to be this great artist, right? Be this, like, mm-hmm. great writer, and also is, like, in this world where his dad's really skeptical of him and, like, he's... You know, black with all these white friends and doesn't really know how to interact with them or like there's like stuff, you know, and but also it's like still this reflection of like this tension between this utopian world that we want to live in. Right. And the reality of being in the world. And it's just put in this like microcosm that then gets shaded with with uh, race stuff and like think other things. Right. But it's not exclusively about that and it's not like him trying to take over a voice that isn't his right i feel like um
0: yeah I, I think i think it comes down to does it feel like the writer is checking a box with this plot point yeah mm-hmm. because um, cuz it for sure can come off like that again
1: going going, going back to the Bendis example cuz he's he's <laughs> the one i have in my mind right now yeah no so, no like, i i mean i think even like we don't have to this is like a very thorny rabbit hole but the fact that like um Miles Morales has two father figures in his life, and one is a crook and the other is a cop. is like very suspect to me. Oh yeah, no, <laughs> and there's, I think, there's
0: plenty of plenty of issues with yeah, and reflective. Story. I
1: think of Bendis's limits as like a writer of this kind of stuff, but um, but
0: when Miles was introduced, because I was I was reading Ultimate spider at that time, it felt very much like this is a natural progression of the plot.
1: Oh for sure, yeah.
0: But then when I was reading All New X-Men, and all of a sudden, Iceman was gay. That felt like I'm checking a box in my run of X-Men that I feel yeah. like I need to do. Now, don't get me wrong; I think that has led to uh, some very interesting story developments with, like, Cena Grace's run and uh, a few other writers who have touched that plot point. But um, it felt at the time when we were reading it, it felt like I I have this is my run. This is the only time I'm going to be touching these characters. I need to check my boxes, changing right. things up, and that's how that read versus you yeah. felt like this is the progression of peter's story in this universe
1: yeah i think that's one of the things that's also tricky about this is i feel like um you know we don't we don't question the inclusion of white characters in this way mm-hmm. um although maybe we should like i don't know why is that cia guy in black panther the movie does but he no, need it, to be there <laughs> yeah, no, I, I i think i
0: think the you know further, the further um, we get along with really having diverse voices and um having diverse casts those th- that question like why why is <laughs> why is um <laughs> martin freeman in this movie yeah. where you easily could have just replaced them with samuel jackson if you wanted to or any anybody like why does it have to be martin freeman in
1: this? yeah movie? well i think i think um i mean yeah oh, i'm sorry i'm about to get into like because i think black panther has some has some stuff ideologically that i have trouble with and that's one of the things is that like the CIA agent is like one of the good guys right yeah yeah no for it's sure the, like you know so it's um but, but yeah but, but also
0: That comes down. uh, I feel like the corporation too. Like, um, oh yeah, for sure. There's a there's a good piece about military, like military criticism in the first Captain America movie, and how it has to be very subtle, but it still does in a lot of ways. Yeah, because of how much the military has invested (laughs) in movies.
1: (laughs) Yeah, like material. I mean, very material stake in the way these movies are made, right? Yeah. Um, So so I feel like it's very interesting. And I think the further we get
0: into criticism of art in general, but diverse criticism, I hope that we, we do question those choices, especially of inclusion of random white characters and, and stories that aren't there.
1: <laughs> yeah. But, I, but I think that, um, but at the same time, I do think like it, it's, it's tricky because I, I almost don't want to use the word tokenization. Cause I feel like that's a, a word that's, that's used by like right wing assholes who want to be like, Oh, they're just putting this in for no reason. Right. Yeah. And, um, But also, like, there is a real way in which, um, like, queerness, especially, I mean, this is something that is relevant to me, right, as as a trans woman, Mm -hmm. um, gets commodified and sold back to people, right? And often that's literally, like, what representation is doing, is, like, trying to sell someone's experiences back to you and, like, framing it as, like, woke or cool or, or great, right? And I think the stories that even inside that framework still get away from that are ones where either there's like really rich um, subtext, right. That talks about some of this stuff. Like I think the matrix is, you know, matrix is trans cinema. Right. But it's all, it's not, you know, very little of it is textual. Right. Um, But also like when creators manage to like create something that I think speaks truthfully and and feels real. um, If that makes sense.
0: Yeah. Um, I I, I really agree with you on that. Uh, and it becomes um, a thing where corporations will use it as look at this big issue where we've revealed this character's blank right
2: yeah where mm-hmm. it
0: it can either come off against su- super artificial or if it was already part of the narrative that was coming and they just decided to market it which like yeah um, for example the blowback of the bat and cat uh wedding issue if fifty, right Everybody's like, they're pushing it, this, the Batman and Catwoman. we're going to get married. They're going to get married. Tom King the whole time's like, they're not. What, please don't. <laughs> please don't do this to me. <laughs> Um Yeah. Where uh, I think that can ha- happen too with uh, queerness and people of color and anything like that. Yeah. And, what?
1: I, yeah. I mean, yeah. I just think that like that very idea that it's like, like in this issue, Iceman gets to be gay, you know, is like yeah. there's that feels bad right mm-hmm, um, yeah but at the same time it's like i think also with x-men i know there's lots of folks who read x-men as, as a queer allegory right i mean the, the allegory of x-men is to press people's is really messy um, in general but like there's definitely stuff there right there's mm-hmm. like subtext to read into that and so i like um but it's yeah so it's you know it, it gets tricky i think especially when you're talking about some of the scales and especially stuff by like straight writers um we've gotten really off the track of Zot but I think um oh well
0: well, I think it all ties in together oh for sure yeah that's why I think that's so great about this but in the same way like you hesitant to use the word like token on a lot of characters I hesitant I'm hesitant to use the word uh forced representation at times because again that's used a lot by people who just hate people (laughs) (laughs) um but I feel like that can be a huge issue with um well I'm trying to think of the word. it's it's not honesty but it's kind of like in the same way like um where like you want people to feel like you actually care about them when you write yeah. care, like, people that are like them oh for sure but if it mm-hmm. if it feels forced it feels like you're just checking a box in your narrative to make it be feel yeah. different you i don't know I I, I I again i'm a I'm a white guy so like i yeah. i don't really know for sure everybody's perspectives, but hearing people's stories, it feels like sometimes like I felt, I feel so pandered to that I'm like, I'm done with the story, even though I like these characters.
1: Yeah, well, I think that's also something that's tricky that I think um, as white people, and this is to be clear, this is something that I have fallen into uh, in my writing and in my personal life. Um, but there's a sense in which, yeah, like we, you know, we live like on colonized land, right? Mm-hmm. This is not, mm-hmm. you know, the Americas, it's like the, the it's a colonial state, right? and I think, um, and that, you know, manifests with, with, with slavery and with, um, you know, the oppression of indigenous peoples and stuff like, that. um, it's like, but th- there's a real temptation, I think, to be like, oh man, like it sucks to be white. And like, I, you know, and like kind of, and th- and like guilt yourself about it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is something that I have done to be clear, I am not <laughs> saying that I am immune to this, but, um, but I think that's, you know like you can't really do anything about you being white but you can do something to dismantle whiteness and white supremacy as a construct right
3: yeah and mm-hmm. i think
1: like centering the work and like considering your liberation to be part of that work right is way more valuable and important than like than like kind of renouncing your white privilege like you can't you can't do anything about your white privilege right it's something that you have that you have to leverage with. and like you know, I don't think feeling guilt about that is bad. Right. I think that's like part of the process. Right. And you should, and like try to work through those kinds of feelings, but you Mm -hmm. don't need to do that with everyone around you. Right. And I think that like often um, a lot, I mean, I think corporate art especially can't get to that like next step. Right. And I think there's also like, there's some truth as well to the idea of like staying in your lane. Right. Um, I'm trying to remember there's this critic who was talking about. uh, I'm trying to remember her name. I, I, just see her retweeted a lot. Uh, mm-hmm. I want to say Jordan, but anyway, she's a film writer, film critic. Um, maybe I'll find, you know, and she talked about like, I don't, you know, I don't want the Coen brothers to make a movie about black people that would be racist. They're like, it would be a racist movie. Like give me money to make a movie about black people. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like I'm fine with the Coen brothers making whatever they want, but like, I know that they can't do this thing. Mm-hmm. Right but I can, or like my peers can, right? And I think like moving that and entrusting other people to do that work and then also uplifting them when they do that work is like really important. And I think that's like, um, you know, like the fact that like this was one of the first instances where I discovered crudeness. And also in Reinventing Comics, McLeod speaks really openly about like, hey, like, you know, the vast majority of comic creators are cis white men, right? I don't think he uses the word cis, um, but then and he talks about like, here are all these creators who are doing interesting things with gender and sexuality, right? And like, tries to you know give them space mm-hmm. in this in this book that is his book, right? But yeah. like, you're like, hey, this is stuff that's doing things in the field that're interesting that you should check out, right? Um, and
0: and and the, the difference between like giving someone praise because I, I the thing about it is everybody talks about these issues or kind of portrays these issues as very black and white or very close to black and white. Even yeah. though when you dump into this middle of everything, it becomes very gray in some areas, and then it, it can be turned into very black and white issues. Um, But there is something to be said with like, once again, Ben is using his power to introduce all these characters that are uh, uh, people of color or different queernesses just on any spectrum of things. And if it, even if he doesn't uh, nail it or it does come off as feeling very like checking boxes, um, there's people who come in after him that have yeah. now a space to talk about their stories. Because I think about now who's writing Miles. I don't remember his name on the top of my head. But he is, he's using that character to tell his story. the uh, Grace used Iceman to tell his queer story. Like people are using these characters yeah. to tell their stories. And they only got there because someone, some like I felt like, oh, I have this power and I <laughs> just make this thing.
1: <laughs> Which, I think that I speaks, mean, to, it speaks to real systemic problems, right? But it's also yeah. like you do have to if if you were in that space, you have to try and make that open that door to other people. And like,
0: it, it's I mean, not really a thank you, you for know. doing this, but more like a cool. Uh, it's awesome that this is here now.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like this is, and the thing is like those, those people should like already have those, their books and maybe they shouldn't have to like write Iceman. Right. Yeah. yeah and maybe no, they sure. should also get to make those kinds of decisions about these kinds of characters. Right. So it's, yeah, it's just a complicated um, thing. Um yeah, I don't think I have like. I mean, you know, I always have thoughts about representation, especially someone who uh, very rarely finds things that resonate with me that are literally trans, right? But uh, mm-hmm. often it's subtextual or sort of about that sort of ends up hitting me a certain way, right? Um, but yeah, that's anyway. But I, I think um, I think generally speaking, like, and it is. It's kind of like this issue is kind of like an after-school special, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's treated, I think, with like a real and there's a couple of lines in it that I think too, you know, struck many readers at the time. McLeod says, and struck struck me at the time, right? And the sense of um there is something real that is being articulated mm-hmm. there. Right. And uh, that is also true to I think McLeod's own experiences.
0: And I, and and uh comparing this once again to uh, Zot to Strangers in Paradise, uh with like books at the time that really were just trying to stay like st- Pave a new lane for creators in a lot of ways. Yeah, *Strangers in Paradise* is uh, a a book. At least where where I left off, I have not finished the series, so I don't know where it goes. But at the (laughs) time where I finished it, it's very queer adjacent and trying to find its way into that world, but trying to find it naturally, and so it keeps on bumping into it over and over again, and you feel like you're you feel. Natural, but at the same time, you knew if they just gave into it right then and there, that's when it would become unnatural. And I think that's an interesting thing for uh, a straight writer or a white writer, anybody that's writing characters that are not them. Um, is how do they transition to the story they want to tell, even though it's not about them, in a natural way without betraying the reader's trust in their storytelling?
1: Yeah, um. Yeah, I think that's I think it's interesting. I'm trying to think about like, um, I mean that's one thing that like I think is interesting about Zot is there's um there's some really interesting tensions, especially I think in stuff that you haven't gotten to yet. Um, mm. So you Nine Jack Nine is a villain in the ten issues, right? In yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So he he is a big arc later that's like the darkest arc of that run of like a superhero stuff, um, and that kind of begins to like complicate a lot of the like paradise. Like anyway, like the the inciting incident is that Jack Nine Nine Jack Nine is like so. It's preface. Nine Jack Nine is a supervillain, and he can like he's like this electrical man, and he can like move through machines and stuff, um, and like manipulate you know electronics and and whatnot. Um, he's trying to kill the daughter of this like diplomat who he murdered, <laughs> right? Because like this oppressive regime is trying to take over on another planet, and so he's been hired by like the generals of this like you know fascist group to like kill this young girl who is like the last remaining family member of like this you know diplomat who is fighting against them right
3: mm-hmm. and that like yeah no <laughs> and, sure. like what you know and so and the thing is the the book never gets into those tensions full in on that right it sort of explores that stuff but in some ways like that evocation of
1: it is like almost more interesting you know this beautiful earth right this paradise and but over here on this planet things are really bad and like how do we sort of work with that and deal with that is like a you know there's a question but i think i mean yeah like i i think uh text and subtext are both great this is my Uh,
0: there's a there's an issue early on somewhat in the black and white stuff that um they get knocked out and jenny wakes up and reality is shifted oh yeah Mm -hmm. and there's a really subtextual thing near the end of that issue and and kind of the text at the same time about mental illness and the kind of the stigma of it all at that time too and it's very interesting that because i'm i'm pretty sure not, wasn't it wasn't like 86 87 or was it 90s
1: uh it's i think it's i think it's like right at the cusp of the 90s so i think it is like i think it is like late 80s early 90s yeah um, it,
0: it that those stigmatizations are here today like still like oh yeah really strong mm-hmm. in a lot of ways and so i have a comic really tried to present the idea of gaslighting people that are having issues yeah. And trying to push them into boxes it is very fascinating to read a comic book. Do in the middle of again a comic that's about like a retro superhero,
1: yeah. Well, this is like you know, she's inside this giant robot who's trying to like kill every human on earth or something, you know, like <laughs> it is, yeah. Um, but I think that, yeah, that's a really great issue, and I think uh, speaks to like some of the like there is a subliminal power to a lot of the stuff that's in Zot, right? Mm-hmm. And I think, um that's actually, I didn't even think about that angle, even though it's right there, right? Like, you are totally right. That's, like, reading that story is the thing about mental illness is completely, like, a very interesting read. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, that's, and again, like, this this thing, that that tension is still there, right? Where she's in the world that she knew and her, you know, her parents are divorced and her brother's still a jerk, right? And her friend mm-hmm. Terry's still her friend, but Zot's a TV show and that world never existed, right? And that... Yeah. um you know that tension between no i know that this thing is real right mm-hmm. i know that this good thing is real but the the world around me does not reflect it right mm-hmm. um the way that that issue sort of microcosms that exact problem is is really cool
0: um yeah and it's up and that that one that one issue alone can be just sat down and examined for to death for ages if, if, if you really want to which i think speaks to the the comic as a whole being
1: so yeah. deep without presenting itself as such. well, I didn't even think about this until this moment, but there's a scene where she sees Zot, right? Like mm-hmm, she, I think mm-hmm. she's going to a hospital, like a mm-hmm. mental institution. And she sees Zot there, and it's like, oh, it's Zot. but then she like tries to touch him, and it's like paper, right, tearing mm-hmm. away. and that like that image of like, like, but Zot is literally paper, right? He is printed paper. yep <laughs> you know, <laughs> like he is a superhero that do- is not real. And is this like so that that sense of like reaching for the ideal that then, like, falls apart it's like such a cool image i'm getting jazzed about this issue i didn't even think about this it, but, and, yeah. it,
0: and it comes down also to like the, the end of the color issues too where they open up the door that that's been the goal the whole time yeah and it's cement blocks at first and they're like what kind of sick joke is this well it's like it, well that is the sick joke that this this world doesn't matter it's a block like you you're gonna hit a point where there's there's a, <laughs> just a hard end yeah and you're not gonna see anything else in it Right. And that and true. that's the idea of comic books in general is like unless you're a big name book or creator that doesn't know how to let go of his creator own projects and and names I will not name. Um <laughs> the world at some point will just stop and you're going to hit a wall and there's nothing left.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: And I think that's, and that at at the time was like that doesn't make any sense to me and for people who get connected or attached to these characters I feel like unless you make your own works, which is a whole nother story there's a point where it's hard to let go once something is
1: yeah well i think that's actually something so the i don't I don't want to spoil too much but the last issue yeah. um you know zot can return home and basically like all these characters that we've getting to know across these sort of more personal or stories go there and it's kind of like this ode to the superhero comic right as a means of escapism right or sort of this this, like, ideal, like, this beautiful world that we can go to for a little while where things really are better, right? Mm -hmm. And that will, like, give us strength and give us, like, purpose so that we can come back to the real world and, like, do something. Um, And I'm not sure how much I, like, completely jive with that, like, that messaging, especially when I think um, superhero comics um, especially get... I mean, we talked already about, like, the very direct relationship between, like, military contractors and Marvel movies in particular. Yeah. but, you know, there's this very material relationship. But at the same time, I do think, like, there is a sense that, like, we look at these things um, and maybe we can dream of something better for us, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and, like, and I think, yeah, like, that's the thing is Zot is is really interesting book, I think, to this day, because it's someone who is both very critical of superhero comics and wary and weary of them, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. also has this, like, like this very undying affection for them and sort of this like this like ah but this is what i love and i can't let go of it right and it's it's funny in some of the later issues where it's like these very personal grounded stories about you know people trying to live their lives and pay rent and like dealing with their parents and then it's like zot is in the background wearing spandex you know Mm -hmm. but that's sometimes the life we live in right and the way and so i think that there's a there's a very i think um interesting honesty to it that i that i think this time around and so
0: to get back to <laughs> your life with comics, I'm I'm really curious yeah. when, when you, you found Zot in the kind of like in the middle of everything, like 2006, you said. Yeah. And so after you read it, what, what, how do you think after reading Zot, <laughs> life after Zot? Life after you, Zot. How do you think it shifted your perspective on just how you create art or how you look at art for, in, in life in general? Because like, that's like the thing I love most about, this medium is it really can change your perspective on just everything if it hits you in the right
1: way. I think um, like, that's not one of the things I think about with stuff that's um, really changed me, but I think there's, there's a couple things that really stuck with me. So at the end of um, so this character who wants to become a comic book writer, right Mm -hmm. Um, there in the essay after that issue, um, Scott talks about like, i you know in my head canon right in my belief like he gets to do that right mm-hmm. uh ronnie's the character's name i just remembered um ronnie becomes like a great comic book writer right and gets to do this stuff because that was my dream too right and like that was and like to me it feels like if i don't let him do that i'm letting myself down right yeah um and that's not the exact wording but it's something like that right and i think that um which struck me as someone and it just increasingly is becoming like very sort of frustrated and and disillusioned with a lot of the, so, you know, I just, I love writing deeply and I'm incredibly um, satisfied with the work that I've done and want to do like so much more um, writing and, and making things, but it's also like looking at sort of everything that's, that's happening um, and knowing that like a lot of these fields are like capital B bad, Mm -hmm. right. That like, um, you know, that they like use people or underpay people, or like, or often there's like a, you know, class dynamic even within them. But I mean, it was, it was wild seeing like people post, you know, staffed video game writers post their salaries and think about, wow, that's like so much more money than I make, right?
0: Yeah. Um,
1: or that's so much more money than like my freelancer friends make. Um, and that isn't to like necessarily be like, oh, those people are evil, but there is like a real sort of material thing happening there, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and so I think for me, like that, that has stuck with me for a long time because i think there's that like the willingness to dream right to like want to and something like yeah like for you know in some capacity i've wanted to write or create like since i was a kid and like trying to believe that that's something that i can do maybe not professionally but like something that i can do and get fulfillment out of is like a daily battle right and i think um zot is like a i mean yeah something that has like brought that up and sort of especially since you know mcleod's very reflective right you know that he's writing about the book itself is obviously very self-reflective as we talked about but then also he's writing all these essays about it and talking about the creative process of it right and like that that openness that frankness i think is stuck with me and especially struck me this time around
0: yeah i i mean i've been i've been struggling with some of the same things of like my end goal when it comes to my writings where like I'm a huge fan of comics that have been for ages, and I want to write. That's the thing. I want to write fiction. That's how it goes. And my end call has always been, one day I will get my hands on Batman at some point. That's what's (laughs) going to happen. It's just going to happen at one point. (laughs) But at the same time, especially these last few weeks, you really examine how that institution, especially with just DC itself, but all around with the comics right now, Mm -hmm. how messed up everything is underneath. And even though you love these characters, you love these worlds. The they're hurting the creators who are making in a lot of yeah. And it's becoming a real struggle. With um, is that dream worth all these sacrifices that's happening right now within that industry? Like, do I want this industry collapse and all my characters kind of die so people can have better lives within it?
1: Yeah. No, I think that's a real thing, and that I think something we we have to try and do and it's like a it's a political struggle as well as an artistic one is try to envision a world that does not exist yet right that is kinder Mm -hmm. and better and that has justice and and mercy right um Mm -hmm. uh, and i think sometimes we have to do that like on our own and especially in the way we make things right and like take value um out of that um out of that act of creation in of itself right um Mm -hmm. i think this is like the i mean i don't know this is like I did writing panels it's like the advice I would give every time is like just like take value out of the work itself and Mm -hmm. don't like don't value the result more than the work right Mm -hmm. like the work should be enough on its own Um, yeah I agree with that yeah and I think that that's like um, I don't think that's something like McLeod taught me or something but I think that's like um, something that you know colored my relationship I think with creating and like you know um, and I think that's just like an important way of like and i think the thing is that goes for so much stuff that's one of the things about like capitalism right is like you are alienated from labor you do not see the results of your labor right you are all that stuff is one else right and your Mm -hmm. your job i mean not for everybody but for a lot of folks has less tangible use right like if you were the town cobbler like you knew what was up right you knew what you had to do and that's not true for me who does like weird seo stuff
0: yeah no no Um, I, i yeah i get what you're saying with that
1: right but um But, like, so you sort of have to claim that value for yourself and, like, take it and, like, separate it from finances, right? And start to envision, like, hey, what does the world look like if people, you know, aren't aren't abused or, like, without sort of these power hierarchies that allow sort of abuse and these kinds of things that happen? Um, And it's tough, especially when, like, people who, I think, you know, there are artists who help us maybe see that world who also are complicit in it and do bad things in it, right? And, like, dealing with that and trying to figure out what you know, to do with that it can be a complicated process, but I think it's also like every step that I've taken towards like freeing myself from capitalism has been like deeply, deeply liberating, right? Mm-hmm. And it's also frustrating, right? Cause you like, look at the world. And this is also like the thing that Jenny goes through and saw all the time. you are like, this sucks. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be here. Yeah. I don't want to be doing this, right? But um, when you sort of like, okay, but I have value, I have worth and I can like put that worth on the page and that's like it's not i don't know immutable is maybe the wrong word but that's real mm-hmm. right that's really powerful i think and that's something that i i hope that like anyway, young writers out there and like creators who are listening to this like that's i think such an important thing to uh to remember that can be also very difficult too
0: yeah and i think with this out reading the essay scott saying like i wanted him to make it like my head, yeah. can it. he makes it i think the idea is scott realizes how hard being this kind of creator is yeah but at the same time knows. Also, i think he does realize how fulfilling the work is when it when when you're doing it when you're working on it
1: yeah he and, um oh, yeah, oh go ahead
0: sorry I, I just feel like him saying the character has to succeed i think it's also telling him that he has succeeded in in, in a weird way like saying like yeah you, you finally did it like you did what you wanted to do and now you get to write a character who Who's you? Who got to do it?
1: <laughs> right, who got to be there? Yeah, yeah. I think. It, well, it's, there's a moment where he talks about. um So he was buddies with the Mutant Ninja Turtle guys because they were also in the independent comic scene, mm-hmm. right? um And like, he tells a story in 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 this book about like going to the store and seeing a Mutant Ninja Turtle mac and cheese, and mm-hmm. being like, "Oh, like, oh, this is so funny! Like, I, I know, like, my wife will get a big kick out of this. Let's let's grab it, my wife Ivy." And then he looks at the price. It's like, "Oh, this is too expensive." <laughs> like i cannot buy this you know yeah. and he's like and, he, and he, you know in this he's like and i you know i realized i would remember this moment for the rest of my life <laughs> right um and i think that um to be clear like i think there's real value there is there is value in like taking care of yourself and like getting a job and like using the money that you get to help other people i think we've seen that especially lately with like you know, black lives matter stuff with bail funds. Right. Mm -hmm, Like mm -hmm. if you, you know, if you were a person of even more means than your neighbor, like giving to your neighbor, right. Is really important. Um, But I also think like choosing to, Hey, what do I value outside of this system Mm -hmm. and how it works is also important. And like, hopefully, you know, there will be someone who can help you along the way there. Right. Too. Um, But yeah.
0: Yeah. And there's something to say about the idea of self insert in your work and putting yourself in there. Yeah, um, there's plenty of creators who do it, and the reasonings behind those are always different in some ways. But I think, especially with the Zot case, and I think about early, there's a lot of the kind of worms. But I think about early, like Stephen King works whenever he writes about a writer. Uh, yeah, he's mostly writing his self doubts, and a lot of those early works. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. you read yeah. You read his story. You read about how hard at first it was for him to get published at all. Yeah, and then when it happened, it just kind of was a whirlwind. And so yeah. a lot of the, or like, I, I think about the shiny and I think about Salem a lot of the time when it comes to his early stuff and about how those two main characters are writers and neither one of them have happy endings. Um, because I think at the same time, he was struggling with the idea of being a happy ending with failing so hard and then all of a sudden it's success. <laughs> yeah. And, no. uh, um. and, I, and I think with self inserts, you really get to see the writer um, kind of deconstruct who they are
1: yeah well, i think it's it's interesting with with Zot's case in particular because he in the essays again like he talks a lot about he talks about um Zot's uncle max as a self-insert who's like this very freewheeling creative type but yeah. also decker as a self-insert right who's like this obsessive like mm-hmm. creative person who's constantly searching for like new forms but it's also like extraordinarily self-destructive right and um I think like, but it's it's tough, especially I think with like Stephen King's self inserts. I know like I have personally not read The Shining nor seen the movie, uh, which I also, also, you know, is very different. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of people read The Shining as sort of this weird justification for Steve for King's own like bad behavior, but also it's tricky because you can't like reading like art one to one to someone is a really complicated yeah. thing. No, um, yeah. But I think, uh, but I think, yeah, I think that like whether or not how much you read any of these characters you know as like mcleod self inserts i think there is this like very sort of self-reflective relationship that he's using these characters to talk about hey what does art mean what does making mm-hmm. art mean how do we relate to that um what is you know and like that self-reflection i think is really important and rewarding right
0: yeah um so i think we, we i don't think we have but i think at, at the moment we have exhausted uh <laughs> yeah, Zot in a lot yes
1: of no i mean I, I need to eat also so <laughs>
0: yeah uh, so in. uh i just want to ask a few questions and then we can just wrap it up right after yeah two. hit me uh so uh i'll just do the first two and then all uh we can save the other ones for maybe another time no um, you, can, you can
1: just hit me up I, I've, 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 I've got time yeah
0: all right cool um so the first question is when it comes to the story within comics right um And since I now know you read uh, a majority, what exactly is about a story that you love so much? What are you looking for within it
3: to hit you with for it to really just grab you?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think this is like a very ephemeral and I guess it like fits the question, (laughs) Mm -hmm. But, um, but I just want something to chew on. Yeah, no, know. that makes sense. Yeah. And a lot of um like I, I started playing Guard recently, which is mm-hmm. the, like first Yokotaru uh game. But he, I think it's the first game he directed. Um definitely not the first game we worked on. And like both that and Neurotomata, which is the only other one of his that played, are both just like really just have a lot going on right mm-hmm. away. Mm-hmm. Right. And I, I think you know, you can appreciate like those works at different levels. Like I I'm like kind of lukewarm, I think, on automata as a whole. Like I definitely like it. Um but i think like i appreciate something that is like trying very vividly to work right and like mean something or like not even necessarily mean something but just trying to like um evoke that i can chew over right mm-hmm. um, that's the thing is like with with automata there's like there's all sorts of like um, i mean i'm thinking about like me as my background is like doing theory stuff right like there's really interesting marx stuff you could do with your automata but there's also really interesting Um, like gender or like even like Freudian psychology stuff, right? There's like all these sort of angles that you could take with it because there's a lot to dig into, Mm -hmm. right? And I think just hitting a work where it's like, oh, there's like something is happening here and something like there's something that I can use my critical apparatus with, right? That I can sort of unpack and work with, right? And I think that that's true of um, everything right? I think most things can be analyzed this way, but it's, it's night, like, but there's, I think there's a difference between work that, like, you have to do the work, right? Like, Mm -hmm. with, um, when I wrote these, like, Gears of War essays with uh, my friend Cole Henry, shout-outs to Cole, uh, who's great. He's my co-host with Idle Talk. Um, he, you know, that was a thing where it was, like, especially with the first three games, I had to do the work to find the meaning in them, right? Yeah. That Mm -hmm. they were, like, very, that it's very easy to read those games as, like, like, bland faster shooters because they kind of are but also there's all this other stuff going on right but you kind of have and it's not that it's like interesting subtext right it's just that like you have to sort of like give yourself over to the work and that's satisfying but it's it's very cool i think to encounter somebody's like oh this is doing work right this this object that i'm looking at is doing something and i'm engaging with it and it's uh really cool so I, yeah, I don't know if that's yeah, a it, good answer, but
0: no, I, I get what you saying. It's like you when you come across a work that's pushing against you, yes, like right away, like you jump in. You're like, oh, uh, <laughs> yeah, I can't, <laughs> I can't sit. Like I can't read this
1: with in my, in my five minute break.
0: There's no way. Like that yeah. kind of work. That's, that's <laughs> yeah. really
1: good. That's really good stuff. Well, it's like me. Um, like uh, I mean, kind of like yeah. So I watched this um experimental German or read it Swiss film. Sorry, Swiss film. Mm-hmm. Uh, called Pepper. Yeah. is great. I don't know how people can watch it, but it's, it's really cool. And, um, that's me where I was watching, you know, at my university was also in a very conservative town and like, I was just beaming the whole, it's like formally so weird. Those are like upside down camera stuff. Right. But it's just like, mm-hmm. it sort of disregards all conventional rules of like how you do framing. And like, there's this weird rip- mixture of sometimes like stop motion and live action and like all this stuff going on in it. Right. But it's also like really has really tricky stuff to say about gender and like political revolution and stuff. And, um, and it's just so like, oh, but like, you know, it's both like welcoming and resists you. And like, that is just such a, like, like I walked away from that experience, just feeling like, like I was walking on air. Right. It was like this glorious Mm -hmm. thing. and I even felt that way. Like after like Twin Peaks of Return episode eight, which is like this famously, you know, abrasive experimental episode, right. Where it's like, whoa, this is so like, wild. I haven't seen anything like this before. What is this doing? How can I like work with this? Right. This is such a euphoric feeling to me.
0: Yeah, no, I get that feeling a hundred percent. That's usually what I strive to find more of.
1: Yeah. Uh-huh.
0: <laughs> um, next question is, uh is there a char- a combo character mostly, but is there a character that you have ever thought about really diving into a piece on? Or on the opposite side, like striving hard to find a way to be able to write a to write the fiction of that character at some point?
1: Um, so yeah, I would I would really I guess like top of the head is like Spider Man because mm-hmm. um so actually like I so, Into the Spider Verse, I saw when I was closeted, um, mm-hmm. and that's a movie that like, um, has I think a lot of like queer undertones. Yeah, <laughs> um, no, but, I can see that. Yeah, and so like, and like obviously, the, you know, there's all sorts of stuff going on, but sort of this idea that like Spider-Man's like this regular person who chooses to be someone, right? Mm-hmm. You know, like, sort of leaves life behind and become. Just like a normal person, right? But has to like do something extraordinary with themselves. I think is like really beautiful and resonant. Um, and like I don't know if I like I'm not necessarily like I want to write that, right? But I think like that's a character that means a lot to me, and that I think I could do something with, right?
0: Yeah, I, I mean, there's there's something that goes for. I think Stanley was talking about this way back in the day that the idea of Spiderman is he he's a nerd who wakes up one day to have all these powers, but he's still kind of he's still a nerd. Like he has yeah. to deal with <laughs> being a nerd and right that is very reductive in a lot of ways uh, especially uh, nowadays but the idea of a character that finally gets all these amazing things feels these amazing ways but at the same time has to deal with the reality that is
1: well and also that the I mean I think even just the simple gut punch of the Spider-Man origin story that he's like well I'm gonna use this I'm gonna make money right Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. I'm gonna get mine and then immediately hitting the wall of oh doing that means I'm going to hurt other people right is just a really like you know effective thing and just trying to be like okay well i have to and i think especially someone who i mean uh, a lot less recently uh thank god that, that i've started transitioning but um but it's dealt with self-loathing a lot i think a story about a person who feels like they are fundamentally ill-suited to this yeah has to keep doing it because they feel it's right is mm-hmm. i think just like really i think just really interesting stuff you know yeah i agree
0: um The next question I had is, uh, and this kind of goes interesting with that, especially when it goes to the black and whites, but uh, people always tend to disregard the artist as a storyteller, but the artist really is a co-storyteller in whatever uh, comic is being made. For sure, for sure. And and there's a real argument between how much of a story is words versus how much is the art, and what are you paying for, right? Um, (laughs) So how, how do you personally feel when the art takes over versus uh hev- heavily text story uh like for example i think about there is an issue of tom king's batman where there's no dialogue there's no word bubbles there's yeah. no nothing mm-hmm. and people are like i read this book in like uh 30 seconds why did i pay five dollars for it or whatever <laughs> it's like right yeah
1: there
0: there's a whole narrative there you're just skipping over because you're not paying attention
1: <laughs> yeah no i mean i think um especially like through you know because i've written a little bit of film and about cinematography right i think um i I think i think it's hard to make those kinds of comparisons right and i think i've always Mm -hmm. identified more with the writing side of it because i think that's always been the side i've been better at or Mm -hmm. or or, although i have done art stuff too um but um but i think there's like all sorts of ways to sort of do and i think um i've been thinking a lot this is like I've been thinking a lot more about this in relation to video games, but I think um, something beautiful or um, and I mean, beautiful in a very broad sense. Right. Um, like not just necessarily like, Oh, the Venus de Milo that's beautiful. But sort of like, um, like, I think, I think like, for example, the, uh, the gaping dragon in dark souls is beautiful. Right. And it's like yeah. hideous and strange. Right. But it's like also this very sort of like evocative design that has, and I think stuff like that has like intrinsic value. This is something yeah. we were talking about earlier, right? That making something beautiful is, like, a valuable thing in and of itself. And I think that, like, um, there's an association, I think, of literary with meaning, right? Especially mm-hmm. in the game space where it's, like, oh, you know, a book a game has to have themes. And a game has to have, like, you know, like, well-written characters. And, like, sort of, like, it has to be, like, a novel or, like, a movie, right? In a traditional way we think about novels or movies. But, like, you know... Um, I don't know. Like Virginia Woolf is is a novelist, and she was writing all this weird, like you know, um, dream of consciousness stuff, right? Like Dan mm-hmm. uh, Breckenhaug I, I, I'm not pronouncing that right, but is um, a filmmaker. He's making stuff where he's like painting film strip, right?
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and like that stuff is really so. I, I think that like in, um, I think I want to value aesthetic more as like a means of creating things. So I'm not saying it's like more valuable than the race stuff, but I do think that stuff gets to tends to be um, can be overvalued right and that art has so much of a relationship with like i think about runaways for example adrian alfina is so good at doing these like teen kids and like how they dress and how they look like hanging out right yeah and like brian came on script is good right that's part of what makes those comics good but it is different when there's a different artist on that right
3: no
0: yeah i 100% get what you're saying with that yeah um and in the vein of trying to make something ugly beautiful it's like me always defending batman Man, right? Like it's an ugly movie. I know it's ugly, but to me, it's beautiful in ways. Oh
1: no, I, I get that. I mean, I you know I did not like that movie when I first saw it, but I think about it more than just about any other superhero movie I've watched. So, and I think I think that says either
0: something good or something bad about
1: that movie. So, <laughs> well, but I think there's also something too. Like again, like we were talking about. I mean, I was talking about earlier. Like somebody doing the work, right? And like, hey, say mm-hmm. what you will about Batman versus Superman. It is about stuff. Yeah, right? that movie has stuff going there's, on right
0: there's some messaging in there that you either agree that's in there or you don't and
1: <laughs> yeah that's
0: how it goes um and l- last question is um uh, it really just recommendations like do you have creators that you think people should read and know about right now that you don't
1: think are getting the spotlight oh uh, that's a good question i feel like i'm sort of out of like comics in a way that like i cannot like speak to like hey what, what are you know what are the little folks doing out there yeah um, I guess like this is not a little guy, but like the Nausicaa manga that Hayao Miyazaki, R- Miyazaki, pardon me, mm-hmm. wrote in drew is really good and like underrated. Um, and if you like that movie, people should check that out. Like it's cool. Um, yeah. Well, I'm trying to think what else. I don't. I like Naruto. That's unrelated. <laughs> it's not like a small thing, but Naruto's that's pretty, pretty dope. Uh, I hear really good things about Chainsaw Man. Oh.
0: Chain. Uh, as someone who's read all of Chainsaw Man, uh, <laughs> it's a book. It's something that's hard to recommend. But <laughs> hey, I mean that sounds interesting to me. Yeah, but if you're so. willing to put in put in the work as we say. Like <laughs> I think that yeah. that is something that can be very gratifying.
1: Yeah. Um, um, oh, I guess uh, oh, I guess like on the game side, if I can briefly diverge into that. Yeah, I just played sure. um, Mar- Marginalia. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Cody Sherlock is the developer on that game. I know also a couple of folks worked on it including Cameron Kunzelman um, and that's a very very cool horror game it's like an hour long it's like three bucks on itch right now oh, okay um i would highly recommend folks check that out it's really really cool uh and i also also really love the work of um uh, marina and melos um i'm trying to remember the name of their studio but they made anodyne Anodyne two and even the ocean um and i think all that stuff is like really just like transcendent video game stuff that um anodyne really got its day in the sun but i don't think two or even the ocean really did and that's a shame mm-hmm. because they're like they are like masterpiece video games in my opinion.
3: Um so there's that. So those
0: are
1: those well, are my, my video game shout outs. <laughs>
0: uh, and and you know, that's perfect because I mean again the, the idea of uh indie video games is slowly really becoming more and more of a realization with me with, with how, how whiny some of the bigger creators are right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <Yeah. laughs> so I, I, I always want more recommendations and people who listen to this
1: yeah well games doing, in that um in the justice bundle the first one. Oh yeah i picked that up so i should
0: try to download yeah. that and play it
1: um yeah, it's good
0: well grace thank you for being on uh the j- plug away everything that you have Tell okay
1: um so yeah you can find uh me on twitter at grace underscore machine um I do a couple podcasts on the Admiral Mapping Network. Uh, one's called Idle Talk. It's with my friend Cole. And we just kind of bullshit about whatever we have been reading or watching or playing at the time. The other one, Seasons of Your Movies, which is with my wonderful partner, Emma, where we talk about a movie. Um, centered around a season, like a theme, uh, kind of a seasonal theme. Right now we're doing Labor. We just watched uh, the incredible movie Banned by the U.S. Government of the Earth, which is on YouTube. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, it's about a Mexican... Minor strike in the fifties. and It's based on a true story. A lot of the actors are actual miners uh, from the strike. Oh, okay. Um, it's yeah. It's a really cool, interesting movie. Um, and the thing is, it also it's like a prop. It is like straight up a union propaganda film. But it's also like really nuanced and careful. There's some really great gender stuff in it. That's like very, um, I think, very emotional and well done. Um, so yeah, I I think our episode's good on it because it's a rich movie, right? And so, uh, so check yeah. Out. And also, I write stuff at graceinthemachine It's like my blog, um, and I'm a regular contributor at sciquest. uh and they do cool cool stuff too. So, yeah, and
0: uh, I highly recommend uh, the stuff Grace has done too on uh, Wavepoint and Uppercut because that's where I first started reading Grace's work.
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, like y'all you will are listening to this, like, because Jesse's such a big part of the community, but like Uppercut is means a lot to me. It was so great that it, that was my first video game byline was with them. Um, I love all of them, and they do great work. Yeah, they do a lot of great work. And sometimes by accident, <laughs> with, uh, with uh, people mentioning
0: them at the wrong moment. <laughs> <laughs> that will always be one of my favorite days when that blew up. <laughs> <laughs> um, in the descriptions, too, you'll find uh, links to uh, how to support the uh, Black Lives Matter movement. You will find a link. I think today might be the last day for Uppercut's uh Pride merch and its donations. But I'm not hundred percent sure on that, so next episode I'll find out for sure if today was the last day. Um you can find uh this show on Twitter at comics uh comic books pod, uh on Facebook at facebook.com slash comic matter, Patreon if you feel inclined to donate a dollar or so. You don't have to at patreon.com slash comic books matter and you can email me at comic at gmail.com if you want to be a guest on the show have a story about something that impacted you that you want to be read on the show or just have questions for guests you can reach out on any of the social medias or email me uh the logo is once again done by my friend steven who is really good at designing logos
3: and the theme is join a restaurant by David zetsi and i free music come thanks for listening everybody and that is a podcast. Hell yeah. I I am so glad
0: you brought